Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen here with life coach Dan Mangana. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. I love it whenever Dan mimics me as I'm doing this. It's great. <laughs> it's not so great when I get it wrong, Walt, when you decide to like change the wording and catch me out. I see, I see what you're doing there. Yeah, yeah lip syncing is a little bit tough if the uh, recording doesn't stay the same, doesn't it? Yeah, Yeah, when you're just trying to change it. <laughs> well, that's, that's where it reminds me of back in the day when Robin Williams, Billy Crystal, Whoopi Goldberg did the um, what were they called? The, the, they were raising money. I can't remember what they were raising money for, um, but they did these specials every year. And there was one in particular, uh, one particular routine they would do where Robin would get uh, behind Billy mm-hmm. and Billy would mouth words like he was saying stuff but robin was actually doing the talking and billy was trying to keep up with whatever it was that robin was saying and demonstrating with his actions and his, his uh, it gestures it, it was hysterical it was, he was actually really good at it he, he, he could anticipate where robin was going and just kind of make it look like he was finishing the same way <laughs> skills and, and movies on the side just like losing it just watching these two just melt down in front of an audience yeah amazing, amazing it was great amazing but anyway, um, I, the uh, big news today, I, I actually mentioned it yesterday, but I, I can now verify that it is, it should automatically be on everybody's devices by now on the uh, iPhone side and on the Android side. But we finally have the update to the LOA Today app. I in saw that which last night. You did. Okay. Yeah. So it's working. And, it, and the big addition is that we've added the book that we did a few years ago called your Daily Dose of Happy, Real Success Stories of the Law of Attraction, which is a collection of 55 manifestation stories told mostly by life coaches and some pretty cool ones at that. So nice. um, I just I just wanted to let everybody know, check your devices for the app. For those of you who have already downloaded the app and take a look, um, you'll find it under the goodie section as all good things are found. Um, <laughs> and for those of you who don't have the app, this is uh, this is the promo message that says, "Download the app, download the app, download the Bring app." The app. Good we stuff in there. You. <laughs> this is our third ebook on there. Dan's uh, ebook is on there. Um, now this one's on there. We also have Cindy Chavez's ebook uh, for uh, relationships. Um, plus, mm-hmm. we got Dan's audio course. We got Linda Armstrong's video course. There's a lot of goodies oh. in this thing. It's growing. Where's all this coming from? From generous people like yourself. That's where, where it's coming it, from. Where does it come from? Where did they do it? <laughs> and I just wanted to take a moment just to give people a taste of it. We actually gave people a taste of it yesterday. Um, my friend Joel Elston dropped by and chatted with Monique and I. And uh, really Joel good. made it in. What? Joel made it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. This is this is the second time uh, in, in three weeks that he came in. I mean, it was pretty cool. And I asked him to tell us the story of Marcus, who was one of the many young boys he has helped who were kind of stuck in the foster care system and who really didn't have a good way out. And Marcus was not his real name, but, you know, he was Mm -hmm. obviously protecting the kid. But Mm -hmm. um, really great story about a kid who um, had basically been, you know, stonewalled and and gaslighted about who he was and what his li- his lot was in life. He was convinced that he had all of these psychological conditions because he'd been told that he had them, mainly because he'd just been acting out over the fact that his mom had died in prison and he was being shuttled around in the foster care system. Wow. But Joel helped straighten him out on that. And uh, I guess he was on 12 medications. They had him on 12 med- medications from what Joel could remember. He wasn't sure if that was the exact number, but I mean, just absolutely sick. 
Um, but he, he helped the kid understand that really all that they were doing was they were just medicating the fact that they couldn't actually help the fact that he'd had a rough life. Mm. And, and that, and then he was also further educating him about how the law of attraction works, how we can make our own lives. And the kid just got it. He grabbed yeah. it and ran with it and ended up turning his life around on a dime. I mean, just mm. completely changed his attitude about everything. So um, cool. He had been, you know, he, he was the, one of the many kids who get caught in the system for a long time who are, uh, their grades like oppositionally defiant. You know, they're constantly causing trouble, uh, doing poorly in school, always giving foster parents a hard time. They, nobody will ever want to adopt them with that kind of thing. And from that moment on, after that meeting with Joel, first he went to his foster mom and apologized for his previous behavior and assured her it would never go, happen again. And then he went to talk to his teacher and assured him of the same thing and promised that he now wanted to sit in the front of the class where he could mm -hmm. learn everything that was being taught. I mean, he just completely changed everything around, One turned his eight. life around. And th this actually happened, I guess the original incident happened about five or six years ago. He is now preparing to enter university. He is pursuing a, a degree in psychology. He wants to become another Joel Elston, I guess. I mean, what a story. It was a wonderful story. And That's a, a really beautiful story. It is. It's gorgeous. And it, it's just an example of, of what this some is of the many kind of stories that are in the book. Yeah, really, really good stories. They're inspirational. Definitely. You know? I agree I, with that. I, I think we need that. Mm -hmm. I, we, certainly we look for it, particularly early on when we're exploring these concepts. We want to see, well, does this stuff really work for <laughs> real world people? You know, you know uh, there was this thing like this morning, I actually had a bit of a, a fluff this morning. I just, I don't know what happened, but I just started asking myself, do I even believe in this stuff? <laughs> yeah. And I was having one of those sort of like, not crisis of confidence so much, but I don't know what was going on, and that's not what's important. What's important was that it's it's stories like these and spending time in stories like these that actually give us the the power to keep going. Because it is easy, I think, especially if you didn't grow up around this stuff. I, mean, I grew up in a very conservative Christian household. We weren't learning all of this stuff. This isn't what was going on. <laughs> it's usually not at the top of the list, no. It wasn't at the top of the list. And so... Um, you know, there wasn't that much, there isn't historically for me evidence to support that this is the way that you look at life or the way that things go. And so having these stories does actually create some support mentally around actually keeping your vibration up, getting leverage to keep doing the work and to stick with it because there's going to be contrast in life, um, particularly when you start to become more aware of this kind of information, I think that it can make things eat harder first before it makes them easier because now you're aware of what's going on. And so your responsibility as a conscious creator steps up, but having, again, having these, this evidence, this evidential experience to, to, to come to, I think is really, really powerful. I think so too. In fact, the other thing I think it really does, and, and you tell me if this is similar to your experience or to you know the experience of people that you work with, because you work with a lot of people mm -hmm. um, for myself, when I heard, I mean, it was one thing to hear the stories in like the movie, The Secret, right? I mean, because there's mm -hmm. some stories in there too. And that's good. They, they kind of get you, your, your appetite whetted, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But when you hear the stories from somebody that you know, or somebody who, you know, you're, you know, two or three degrees connected to who, um, you, you trust the, the source of the story. Mm -hmm. Somehow it seems more real. I don't know why. It just seems more real and it seems more, it seems to have more of an impact so that, 
when you finally get to the point where you have your own experience, where mm-hmm. something happens that kind of caught you by surprise, and, oh, wow, I guess, I guess I may have, did I manifest that? These stories I find kind of reinforce, yeah, other people have the same thing happen too. I can actually on some level begin to trust this result that I got was a real result. You know, well, this is something that again, that's been one of those. <laughs> I've been, I, I did like, I think I've got 14 podcasts I'm doing this week, not including this show. <laughs> or something I thought like. I was doing a lot. Jeez. <laughs> so, so, so like that. And when you're going over and over and over and over and over a few stuff, you get a chance to keep coming back to the core concepts. And when you're going over the through line of what you have to contribute, at least in my part to, to this narrative, like it keeps ringing in. And one of the things that's been driven home really, really powerfully this week again, is that possibility doesn't equal probability, but that probability's reduction only happens because of the illusionary distance that we create in our minds between us and the outcome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everything's sure. here and now, but because we create this space with our limiting beliefs and our stories and narratives, it l- starts to look further and further away. Mm-hmm. But these stories bring it closer and closer and closer. Yeah, and do. when it's real people, not, I mean, if Oprah, Oprah Winfrey tells me a story, oh, okay, Oprah Winfrey told me a story, that's great, but she's Oprah Winfrey. Right, right. If, if Bob up the road is telling me a story, now it's a bit closer. Yeah. Because there's more stories that I can layer on on this through this facade of all oh, celebrity and stuff. But when it's real people doing real stuff, that distance just shortens. And that means that the, nor- the, the narratives that we've got in our mind, creating this illusionary space reduces to that chasm disappears. And it's more easy for us to accept the truth of the availability of that thing here and now. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I think you got it. You nailed it. It's, it's that it's a real person. Not that mm-hmm. Oprah Winfrey isn't a real oh, person. Oh no, she's a real human. She's got real stuff. Yeah. But but she but, but we we associate those who seem closer to us as being more real for some reason. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why that is, but it is true. I think but just there's more space for stories. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the unconscious mind is always seeking to keep our worldview in place, mm. and whenever it's got an opportunity to support that, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna take it. And yeah. when someone's further away, there's an opportunity for it to have space to be able to say, "Oh yeah, that's great," yeah. but it's like, "Oh yeah, that's great for you," but and blah blah blah. We don't have the space to do that so much when it's real people. It's not, it's like, of course, successful. They ripped people off. Of course, that person's successful. They got money, silver spoon in their mouth or whatever. Of course, that person's healthy. They've got good genes. Of course, that person's in a loving relationship. You've seen how gorgeous they are. Mm. All of these things that we've got to reframe the possibility for us um, disempoweringly. Yeah, I agree with you. That's it. So anyway, I wanted to share one more story. I'm not going to uh, read a whole bunch of them, but I want to share one more story just because Please the market do. story was so successful. And I wanted to pick one that doesn't fit one of the big three categories. The big three in my mind are getting more money, mm-hmm. getting great relationships, and improving mm-hmm. your health. Okay? Mm-hmm. I want to get one that's not one of those. <laughs> okay. I want one that, that's just kind of like a little off the beaten path. And I'm picking one from somebody who I do know personally. Mm-hmm. And uh, she actually was a co-host for a while here on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a cool story because it's an unusual ask. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Um, the person who wrote the story is Anne-Marie McEwen. She used to be a co-host with me on Sunday nights when I was doing a Sunday night show for a while. Mm-hmm. And she operates an, a, a, a nonprofit organization in Middletown, Connecticut called the Buttonwood Tree. And I won't tell you a whole lot more because she's going to tell you about it in the story. So let me just start the story. The story is entitled A Steinway Piano. 
At the north end of Main Street in Middletown, Connecticut, sits the Buttonwood Tree, our beloved community arts center. It was named for its birthplace, once known as the Avenue of the Buttonwoods. In 1989, Wesleyan University alumna named Susan Eastman Allison opened a used bookstore called the Ibis. It soon became a hub of activity where creativity and community flourished. Besides being a bookstore, the Ibis became an informal gathering place for people to share their ideas and talents. It bustled with activity and brought, brought positive energy to the neighborhood. Now, two years later, the Ibis morphed into a nonprofit arts organization called the North End Arts Rising, while retaining its nickname, the Buttonwood Tree. It served the community by offering books, poetry readings, and programs for personal enrichment and the cultivation of artistic talent. Jump forward to February 2007. I find myself, or I found myself, needing to recreate myself after my retirement for my career as a dental hygienist and more recently for my business as a food truck operator. I decided to volunteer in areas that interested me and see where it would lead me. In addition to serving Miles for Smiles and the Coalition for Children, I responded to a newspaper ad looking for volunteers to help write grants for the Buttonwood Tree. I had a brief, very positive experience years earlier with the Buttonwood Tree, and I knew that they were about music and the arts, so I joined. Three months later, one of the people on the grant writing team, Kunle Mwanga, and I probably mispronounced that person's name, so apologies, invited me to join the board of directors for the Buttonwood Tree, my first board position. I accepted, not knowing what it entailed, but believing that they were doing good work in the community. For about nine months, I volunteered for all three organizations and learned all about North End Arts Rising and the Buttonwood Tree. Simultaneously, I focused on learning and growing to make myself the best person I could be, diving into reading all the Conversation with God books by Neil Donald Walsh, Louise Hayes' You Can Heal Your Life, studying the Teachings of Abraham books by Esther and Jerry Hicks. And meanwhile, the Buttonwood Tree was kind of operating in low gear, suffering from the economic downturn and a lack of leadership after Susan Allison stepped down due to illness and due to programming and funding needs reaching their lowest ebb, I helped to write some grants, and I did my best to inject hope, but half the board members wanted to just shut our doors. Our executive director stepped down to have a baby, and things looked pretty dim. I resigned from everything but the North End Arts Rising Board, and then I took a trip to Hawaii to see my daughter. I stayed for six weeks, and while there, I was offered a job to run a sustainable seafood fast food truck. I'd have jumped at the chance if it weren't in Hawaii, but I knew that my daughter wouldn't be there very long and all my family was in Connecticut. So I declined. So returning to the Buttonwood tree, I learned that soon we'd have, uh-oh, no executive director. There had been much discussion about closing for months and at our next board meeting, three directors voted to close down. Three others, including myself, voted to keep our doors open. The only problem was that since we had no funds, one of us needed to take over as executive director. As I voted to stay open, I felt the tug inside me, a nudge and a knowing that said this was my new job. We all looked around the table in silence. It was a scary moment. I knew nothing about administration and nonprofits. I had no qualifications or experience. But knowing that my gut wouldn't lead me astray, I said I would take the job. I told them I knew nothing and didn't know if I was capable John Basinger, the president, looked at me reassuringly. He convinced me I could do it and offered to mentor me, helping as much as I needed. 
My saving grace was that I had a passion for keeping the buttonwood tree open with some decent writing skills, a love for music, and an even deeper love for humanity tossed in for good measure. As executive director, it's my job to keep everything running smoothly, all systems go, you might say. I was in charge of everything from programs to posters, including booking the acts, paying bills, and maintaining all the equipment. And over the years, we held many poetry events and classes of all sorts, from painting to yoga. But the main focus of our arts program was to provide concerts by local and touring musicians. For a small arts organization, we had some good basic equipment in the music department, a great sound system with top microphones. One item that was not quite up to par, however, was the piano. It was with great distress that I would bring in world-class pianists to perform at the Buttonwood Tree on a very inferior piano with various mechanical problems and issues with tuning stability. Their performances would suffer as a result. Our piano tuner and repairman was one of the best in the area, Bruce MacLeod, but he would make repairs until it couldn't be fixed anymore. And at one concert, the piano rolled away from the pianist. We had to laugh about it at the time, and the pianist was more than cordial about it, but I was mortified. We needed another piano soon. <laughs> In our small space, the issue of the piano often brought up the question, should we get an upright instead of the baby grand that we had? Because we attracted pianists due to having the piano, and the piano happened to be my favorite instrument, I was emphatic about keeping the baby grand size. So Bruce bought a rebuilt piano from his friend and did his best with it. That held up fairly well, but it was still far from, from perfect. And we were fortunate to have many world-class musicians at the Buttonwood. One music teacher, Carolyn Halstead, performed classical piano concerts at the Buttonwood occasionally throughout the years. After we had the piano rebuilt, I invited her to play again. The concert was nice, and afterward I asked her to come back sometime, but I'll never forget her response. She said to me in the most gentle, kind, and sympathetic tone, I'm sorry, I, I just can't play that piano. Her softened facial expression revealed how painful playing it had been to her. That pain embedded in me a very strong desire to get a fantastic piano so she would return and be happy to play at our place. I told her I'd do what I could to get another piano and asked what kind of piano I should seek to be suitable both to her and to the many other pianists we hosted. With humility and reserve, she sweetly said that, well, she had a Steinway at home. I could see in her eyes that she knew we couldn't afford one and that we'd probably never get a really good piano, but I felt otherwise. I felt hope and a drive to remedy the situation. In that moment, I vowed to myself to get a good piano, one she deserved to play on, worthy of the very pianist in the world, a Steinway. The next day, I added a Steinway to our online wish list. I talked to our piano tutor and told him that I wanted a Steinway. He chuckled and said it would never happen. I replied, I can hope, can't I? <laughs> he smiled and nodded. Well, of course you can. Good luck with that. <laughs> So I hoped. I imagined having happy pianists, and I talked about it with anyone who would listen. Concerts came and went. Pianists asked to perform, and I turned many of them down, saying someday when we have a better piano, we would ha be happy to host them. When I stood in front of the audience, welcoming them and introducing the musicians, I told them that we were hoping one day to get a Steinway piano for these wonderful pianists. I put out the word that we wanted a new piano, preferably a Steinway, and my passion, passion for it never died. We actually got several calls from people offering pianos, but their pianos were really no better than what we already had. Concerts came and went. Three years later, in early September, I received an interesting phone call from a gentleman who lived about an hour away. 
Steve Gordon was moving, and he had a piano he couldn't fit into his new home. Though he had someone who offered to purchase it, he wanted to know who we were and what we would do with the piano. After having fielded several such calls in the past, I learned that many people just wanted someone to take their piano away. Being cautious by now, I asked about his piano and its condition. It turned out his was a Steinway in perfect condition. I was thrilled at the possibility. He wanted his piano to go to a good home where it would be played often and appreciated by many. We spoke for 45 minutes about all about the Buttonwood tree and how we serve the community, who would be using the piano, who our performers are, all the details. He said he would think about it and talk to some people about our organization and then call me. I waited with bated breath, but felt deep down, this was it. I could sense it happening, and it felt so exciting. A few days later, Steve called back and confirmed he would give us the piano. I was ecstatic and beside myself with joy. We were getting a Steinway in perfect condition. It took three years, but it was worth it. Mm. And then it got even better. Because the next issue was timing. Steve didn't know when the move would happen, so we put things on hold. He said he'd call me and let me know when I'd have to pick it up. When that call came in, I'd have to be ready. So I called the movers. Now, in the same time frame, we planned to put down a new floor at the Buttonwood Tree. We had received a grant and planned the job to be done in late October. Our space has a lovely performance room that doubles as an art gallery, about 20 feet by 20 feet, and the other room is a small bookstore. To redo the floor, we'd have to move everything from one room to the other, from, from one room to the other, and of course, the piano had to be disassembled. I talked to a local moving company about moving our old piano, and we arranged for the piano to be disassembled and moved on Monday, then returned to its space after the floor was done. On the Friday before the floor was to be done, I got the call from Steve. He said the piano needed to be picked up on the following Tuesday. Serendipitously, the same week, we planned to redo the floor. This meant we could pick up his piano, store it for a few days, and then move it into the performance space after the floor was done. So we moved the old piano to the moving company for storage until we eventually traded it away. And the moving company didn't even charge us for storing the Steinway. Only the universe could have planned it so well. How's that? Do you know the thing I love about that? What's that? It didn't happen overnight. That's right. That's right. And I think sometimes when we get into, um, and I'm glad you shared that story out of all of them, because I think when we start talking about manifestation stories, people automatically go to, oh, I wrote a check to myself for a billion bucks and I woke up and it descended from rainbows and leprechauns. (laughs) Leprechauns brought the gold bullion into my bedroom. And that's not really generally how I see it working. And like you said, I, I get to see people have these conversations every day. Generally speaking, it's real people achieving real things in a beautiful way that they feel good about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think those are some of the most powerful manifestation stories. Stories where people have had to overcome doubt, adversity. Um, in this instance, other people saying, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and years later, three years later, the piano comes. Not only does it come, but it's exactly the one she wanted in perfect condition and everything worked out really, really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think the time frame is really important because mm-hmm. how often do we put out a request, particularly for something that seems really hard to get mm-hmm. and say, and, and I want it to happen three years from now. We usually don't do it that way. Like I want it now. How soon can I get it? You know, where is my lover, my yeah, beloved? Right. Bring them in angelic form. <laughs> so we we tend to get a little 
impatient, shall we say? Mm. Not not being ready to let it come in its own time. Mm. But she didn't do that. Anne-Marie's a good manifester, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she basically took a, a, a broken and strapped organization and turned it into something that flourishes. I mean, they, they have acts coming in there all the time. Really interesting, offbeat, unusual musical acts, very skilled, very talented. They have art shows. They have they have yoga. They have they, they have something called laughter yoga. Have you ever heard of that one? Yeah, a friend of mine actually is a yeah, yoga. Yeah, they, they, they like do laughter master, yoga. Master yeah. laughter yoga thing. It's weird. It's uh, a really weird concept. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let her explain. We'll bring her on to the show sometime. She can explain yeah. it. It's basically, you start laughing for no reason at all. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like, ha, 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 that's pretty much it, except it's a little bit more enthusiastic. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's strange and strained too. But that's another thing. Mm-hmm. But they have so many different things going on there. And she manifested all of them. And mm-hmm. I mentioned that because when I, I edited this book and when I was um, selecting the stories to put into it, I wanted stories that felt like they were real world. They weren't mm. magic tricks. <laughs> and the reason I say that is... I wanted to remind people everything is a manifestation. Mm-hmm. Everything in our lives is a manifestation. What, what I was hoping that readers of the book would do is realize, yeah, they're cool stories. Yeah, they are manifestation stories, but they're very similar to the things that have already been happening in my life. I don't need to learn this. I already know it. Mm. I've already been experiencing this. Whether I've been experiencing manifesting stuff that I actually wanted, that's another question. That's the other, that's the other part of it. That's the other part. I manifested something that I don't want. <laughs> how many people know how to do that? Yeah, well, I guess I could do that. <laughs> I, I do Uncle Walt. I know how to do it. But that's the thing. It, once, once it becomes personally real, and I think mm-hmm. that's the way to make it personally real, to recognize everything is a manifestation that's in our mm-hmm. lives. I think that's where, for instance, the the techniques you teach become mm-hmm. so valuable because you're, you're tying in stuff to what actually happens in somebody's lives. They're not, mm-hmm. or people's lives. You're, you're not, like you said, you're not doing the unicorns and, and fairy dust thing. No. Nah. No. Because, well, first of all, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, you get results the other way and you've had lots of results with people. But, you know, the funny thing is, is people that hang around with me long enough realize that I may not lead with the angels, rainbows and unicorns, but it generally ends up coming with rainbows, angels and unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've got another, I've got another one of my guys is uh, just hit the seven figure club. Really? My, yeah. Another one of my guys hit the seven figure club and, um, good for him. Yeah. And, but the funny thing is, is that. He came out down to Carbo to hang out for like a few days. Uh-huh. And while he was hanging out, just here sipping cocktails by the pool, like the million, multi, not even million, multi-million dollar deal lands in his lap. Wow. While he's hanging around, like just hanging out. <laughs> That's crazy. So, That's really crazy. And the funny thing was that I think... It, he came down on the Friday. Unfortunately, that's the day August dad passed away. Mm. Um, so I didn't get, to, I didn't get, didn't get to see him then. And the Saturday, cause he'd flown in, um, and August had looked, she wanted some time to herself. So we still went out 
we went fishing, although we didn't catch any fish. And then uh, I didn't actually end up hanging out with him as much as I'd planned to, but he hung out with some of the other guys. And Tuesday, he and I had some time for a couple of hours. Then Wednesday, the next day, that's when he, the deal like, he'd just been literally hanging out, working on his book, seeing some of our friends down here. Um, and yeah, he just literally just sort of dropped out, <laughs> dropped in. So it, it comes that way, but that's not what we're leading with. We're allowing the magic to be a part of the, a very grounded experience that we're seeking to, to create. So uh, I, I, maybe I was anticipating too much. Maybe I was, I was inferring too much by suggesting that you stay away from the unicorns. <laughs> I stay away from them on the front end, but they inevitably crash the party anyway. Okay. okay. <laughs> so they come through the door. Ah, what do you mean you don't want magic? Dealing with what happens. So yeah, it's funny. So let me uh, try to redeem myself. I'll go to the front end because that's the safe end at this point. <laughs> the front end where you deal with just, I'll call it the more mundane stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't say that in any way to disrespect the stuff. I just say mm-hmm. it to simply point out, it's just what we would consider the real world stuff. Yeah, everyday you know? stuff. Yeah. So at that end, I mean, I know what you've taught in the ebook that you shared with us, Money mm-hmm. Game, um, basically just starting at very low monetary figures and mm-hmm you know, intending that they manifest and, and kind of keeping track over time and, and mm-hmm. then, you know, doing a little appreciation ritual each time and building mm-hmm. the number up over time. So I, I understand how you do it there. How how do you do it with like, you know, relationships, for instance? Well, I mean, we we kind of allude to, to how through the book, because in the book I do give some, you know, other examples, how to use it in your business and how to use it in your career and stuff like that, the same principles. But it's exactly the same thing. One of the funny things that I, I always love to come back to with people that are like, you're uh, this kind of person. All you think about is money and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it's just this isn't a, a measuring stick. It's a very tangible measuring stick. Mm. If I apply a set of principles to create 10 bucks, right, and I apply them properly, the 10 bucks will show up. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't show up, then I haven't applied the principles properly. But how I manifest 10 bucks, how I manifest the love of my life, how I manifest health in my body, how I manifest joy and happiness, it's exactly the same principles. The universe doesn't change the way that it's constructed based on what we're creating. But when I'm using something tangible like money, I've got an eyes on clue as to whether I'm doing it or not. And once I have those principles and I've mastered them, using this measurable gauge as to where I'm at, then I can go and spin and direct it to everyone else because ultimately what we get is who we are and who we are is comprised of what we're choosing consciously or unconsciously, what our vibration is, what our beliefs are and what our choices and behaviors are. When all of those things line up, something shows up and I can practice and rehearse commanding my intentionality, my vibrational flow, my belief system narratives and also my behavior using money and then direct that to other outcomes also. You just used a very interesting word. It's one that Amy Blackford used a couple of Mondays ago, command, to command <laughs> that something happen. Mm-hmm. And and she's been really experimenting with that concept in a big mm-hmm. way with some pretty interesting results. Mm-hmm. What what does the word command mean to you that, that is really, you know, germane to this whole process? Um, directing from a place of agency. Someone that's in authority makes a command. Ariana, my stepdaughter, tries to command, but she has no authority. So it's not really a command. It's like, dude, you need to go and have your shower right now. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah. Like 
uh, like a, a commander in some kind of military force gives a command to their subordinates because the subordinates understand that the relational the relationship is I accept those commands from my commanding officer, commanding officer. When I'm in true dominion, I'm in a position where I've established that the command flow between myself and reality is I speak and reality responds. We all have that because in the beginning was the word, but we don't apply it or stand in that agency. In fact, we give that power away. We have our commanding bottom, we have baton, we have our magic wand, but we give that away and we put it down through blame, through passing the buck and we need to do is pick it up. Wave that wand. It's, it's a, an important wand. It's an important concept. And mm-hmm. you mentioned in, um, your daughter how mm-hmm. she commands without necessarily being in a place of command. I'm sure. <laughs> she, she, she attempts it. <laughs> well, I'm sure that her, in her own mind, she is in command. Otherwise, mm-hmm. she wouldn't attempt it. She's well, I am in command. This is I'm the one giving the command here. It's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. It's probably a bit of a surprise when it doesn't quite work the way she mm-hmm. anticipated that it would. But isn't that part of it? Isn't it part of it is just believing you are in command? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we, we again, that whole thing of belief, believing, the command that we have is a result of the belief that we have in our ability to command. Mm-hmm. And if we don't believe we're in command, guess what? We magic our way into a reality where we're not in command. So Once the again, magic... Once again, the law of attraction proving that it it plays out the way it is because you're not in command, so guess what? You're not in command. (laughs) Because the universe is not a tyrant. God is not a tyrant. Spirit is not a tyrant. The the, the divine is not a tyrant. It's just, all right, it'd be better if you did be in command, but if you don't fancy it, I guess your subconscious is going to be in command, and then we'll, we'll see how that works out because we are always making commands, but generally we're making them unconsciously through negative bias and from the space of our unconscious programs. And then we look and say, Oh, it's fate. It's the devil. It's because I didn't shake my leg twice or I didn't X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D. I'm not vegan. You know, that was coming. <laughs> and we, we have all of these things. What is no, it's just, we didn't, we surrendered the driving of the car to the navigator of the unconscious instead of being consciously in the driver's seat and directing ourselves to where we want to go. That was pretty good. We actually got to the 34 minute and 15 second before the word vegan got included in the conversation. I didn't, I didn't mention it all last week. So <laughs> you better factor that in. I'm going to stuff you with tofu. Um, ve- vegans <laughs> everywhere are celebrating. Oh my goodness. That's funny. But yeah, um, everything's responding to belief, including the belief that we have power or don't or that we don't yeah that's true i I was actually going to go somewhere with it where was i going i was going to you said command is a very interesting word you use command and you mentioned that it was brought up on monday and then it just all went out of my head so i apparently didn't command it to come back (laughs) (laughs) well tell you what i'm going to divert for a second that'll probably bring it back to me all right um Mm -hmm. to remind people that Good friend of yours, who you introduced to the show, Debbie Garcia, is joining us tomorrow as a co-host. Debbie's in the house. Debbie's in the house. Yeah, ah, that's somebody who really—that's somebody who learned how to command. Oh yeah, she's about it. <laughs> she, she, she's she's definitely accepted that invitation. Definitely in a big way. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She—I've uh, described her earlier this week as a force of nature. Yes. As a superpower in a small body. I mean, she's just, she, she is bigger than she looks. <laughs> she is. She's just, 
she goes powerful she says powerful presence on the microphone it's really something so i'm looking forward to uh beginning that new chapter here on all the way today Mm -hmm. and adding her story and adding her voice And, and i guess we're actually going to be talking about kind of combining forces because I guess we're going, to com- we're, we're going to talk about combining what we're doing here with what she's doing there and mixing it up. And I'm not quite sure how all that's going to work out, but it should mm-hmm. be fun anyway, no matter how it works out. So let's see. Did that cue in my mind what I was trying to bring up? No, it didn't. <laughs> not at all. It didn't work. <laughs> so let's see. Where can we go with it instead? Well, commanding. Um, I know that commands for me are something that, for the longest time seemed outside of my realm. Cause I, mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I had bought in like most people do to the idea that, well, you have to be that person in authority. You have to be given that, that authority and, and then you can give a command. Mm-hmm. But then I tried computer programming mm-hmm. and in computer programming, everything that you type into a computer program is a command. They're all commands. Every single, they may be really small commands like turn on monitor you know, mm-hmm. It may be nothing more than that, but it's still a command. And it, and programmers describe it as a command. What that did for me is that it gave me a completely different perspective on command. And it made me question something. I want to ask, this is part of what I wanted to ask you about, I think, but I mm-hmm. still don't quite have that original thought. <laughs> the original book but but it's, on, it's like it's in that direction. The idea of authority. Mm-hmm. Literally, the word authority derives from the word author to mm-hmm. author something, to write something down and publish mm-hmm. it and distribute it is where the origin of the word authority comes from. It's the same mm-hmm. basic root. We in our modern societies take it quite a bit further than that. I mean, there are a lot of people in authority who've never you know, written a word in their lives. <laughs> they don't necessarily know anything about how to write a book, mm-hmm. but you know, we, we've expanded it quite a bit. Um, and I guess the first question to ask you is, to what degree do you think writing something is important in terms of being designated an author? In other words, can you self-authorize by being a writer? A lot of people try to do that. A lot of people want to become authors because it gives them credibility and it works. I mean, people buy into how credible you are based on what you write. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I mean, how important is the authority side of being able to command? In our own lives or in the lives of others? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a, a little bit of both, really. <laughs> I mean, this comes, uh, I think it's a part, there's a couple of veins here that come to mind for me. First and foremost, we were talking before about the distance appears because of belief, right? So I'm here on the show, right? I've been in Wall Street Journal, I've been in Forbes magazine, I'm author for a respected, I'm now a contributor to a respected magazine. I'm in podcasts all over the time, blah, blah, blah. That's great. But I can buy a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I could pay a PR agency to get me put in a magazine. Yep. What's the substance of what I say? And is what I'm saying actually making a difference in your life? So often we get bought or sold, sorry, and buy into these ideas. Oh, because somebody is this or somebody's that, that person's going to save me. What they've got to say is going to be the truth for me. But is it? I don't know. I haven't tried it. And there are people that I've seen in my own life, seen it firsthand, giving up the opportunity to have something real because they're chasing after a story that hits the right switches in our head and allows us to find it. There's a guy called um, 
I think his name's Mike Winnett or something like that. He runs around on YouTube going for people in our industry and basically debunking the ones that are fake gurus and he calls them contrepreneurs. And he's got this show that he has and you, you've got to look at it. It's hilarious. It's got the one called Contrepreneur Bingo. And okay. he's got, <laughs> and he's got, um, he's basically got like these things that are in a picture. Now what it's actually, it's not about contrepreneur. It's basically effective selling. But what's happened is, is people are taking effective selling strategies and applying it to sell things that aren't maybe the value that they are because the, the purchase, the buying process is psychological. You can tweak someone into buying something if they don't need it. You can get them into a state where they say yes, whether using NLP, the right word patterns, whether you know how to dance around objections. You know, this it's actually crazy, the voodoo magic that can go on in, in sales. And Jordan Belfort, The Wolf of Wall Street, really... Uh, popularized these ideas, I think, because he did actually, um, you know, he was making millions and millions and millions, getting people to buy stuff, and they were like, uh, <laughs> they were having short circuits. But this guy, Mike, is basically running, going after people. Now, some of the people he goes after, I actually know that their work is good. Maybe they had a few bad reviews or they didn't have the right customer service, but because they followed this method, he said that they were wrong. Point being that I may not even have something that's real, but I can sell you on it and buy, get you to buy into it. You know, some of these people that we're chasing or looking up to, they just know how to present information in a way that you buy into it. Mm-hmm. So the, the authority that comes from some of these things is sometimes warranted and sometimes not. I did invite the listeners to look behind the veneer and actually see, is this giving results in my life? Right. Because that's ultimately where the rubber beats the road. That's really what counts. Exactly. Exactly. And we can get caught up in the sexy stuff of stuff that's not even really real. Um, But anyway, that's what I have to say on that one. In terms of our own life, stop waiting for some external validation of your power. You were born with the authority to command in your own life. Stop waiting for someone to give you a blue tick on your social media profile or for someone to pat you on the back or to get that feature that you're waiting for to validate you, that be validated within yourself to command your own life. That's the ultimate validation, really. Mm-hmm. It has to come from within. Otherwise, it's not going to be as meaningful. We often associate the, the meaning coming from somebody else, but it's actually more meaningful when it comes from ourselves, I think. I think it's always going to be empty if it comes from somebody else. Yeah. It's going to be right. devoid of the real, the real validator, which is ourself. Well, I'm not sure if it's completely empty because we appreciate, you know, somebody validated like, oh, well, thank you. That, that was good. You know, that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not completely empty, but it's certainly not as powerful. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, by the way, that did actually cue my mind because oh, you, 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 and you did it in a way that I didn't quite expect. You talked about a guy who was a debunk, a debunker who was basically <laughs> dismissing. That's yeah. what my original thought was about. Oh, let's go. <laughs> let's get on with debunking. Good old Mike Winnett. I, I was doing some research um, on something I was preparing to write for. Um, I'm going to start doing some rather long blog posts. And so I figured I was going to write my first blog post. I had a topic in mind, doing some research. Come across this article where uh, this guy was writing about Louise Hay back in the 1980s, early 1980s, Uh or actually he was writing toward the the end of the 80s. And his article was basically just dissing her for ripping people off, promising them ridiculous things like if if you 
if you follow my, my multi-step method here, you will cure yourself of disease. And then they, they do all the things right and they die anyway. And you know mm-hmm. how shameful that she's, she's you know, taking all their money and, and she's making herself wealthy, showing, selling the shell game to people. I mean, it, it was that kind of a tone to the whole thing. And I, I can, I, I didn't know Louise Hay at all. I, I don't know a whole lot about her. I've, I've, I think I saw one interview with her. I've seen her books, so I don't know a lot about how she would respond. I kind of imagine she would just kind of ignore it because she wasn't somebody who was, you know, go out there and fight people. That was not her personality. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of imagine how would she have responded internally to that person? I, I kind of suspect she just ignored it mm-hmm. and just dismissed it. Um, I mean, but we, we all get them. We, we, we do. All, we all get them. Look, put it this way. I've got... A, a deliberately small community at the moment of people, right? Where everyone has the opportunity to, to get to know everyone else. Mm-hmm. The testimonials in there aren't BS. They're real people that you can actually send them a message and see who they are. Right. But even in that, there's still people that hit a, hit a wall and decide, well, you know, this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I've got something to say. There's always going to be somebody that's holding their worldview in place by putting down someone else. I even had a, another, there's another guy, called coffee coffeezilla i think his name is on youtube i love watching these debunkers i think it's hilarious and he he actually did this in-depth research that showed that napoleon hill was probably the biggest contributor of all time really interesting yeah it's i actually i don't normally watch long youtube videos but i say i've watched all 30 something minutes or whatever of that because it was fascinating the argument that he put forward um and my thing is this we all have a responsibility for ourselves as to what we step out and do and making a choice as to whether we're going to do something or not. If I elect not to take on conventional medicine and to go a non-conventional path, I need to acknowledge that there's going to be risks associated with that because Mm. if my belief systems don't support that fully and completely, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. There are people that are neglecting to go and do modern medicine that they believe in, to go and do chanting and plant medicine, which they don't necessarily believe in. So their lack of belief is going to be it's going to trump the little bit of belief that yeah. might be there. And right. you'd be better off just going to get chemo. You'd be better off going to get surgery, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe juxtaposing positivity, you know, uplifting, getting your daily dose of happy alongside conventional medicine. I think sometimes people are not really making that connect. Go into using magic when they don't even really believe in it. They're having my crisis of confidence. I had this morning, but at a deeper level, on top of the stress of dealing with a challenging situation mm. and then wonder why it doesn't manifest. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. That's and then blame true. the person and blame the messenger. There are enough people who have successfully applied the work of Louise, whose legacy continues in Hay House, right. which millions and millions and millions of books. But guess what? Not everybody that applies some of that stuff is going to work. I mean, I've been to Dr. Joe Dispenza events. I've seen people that came in on a wheelchair leave without a wheelchair. I've seen people go come in blind and, and leave able to see. I've seen it with my own eyes. And yet people will still say Dr. Joe's full of poop. Mm-hmm. No, Dr. Joe is just someone that's created a space where we can heal if we are ready to heal. But we're not always ready to heal and then complain that the healing doesn't happen. I think we have to just take responsibility for our own journey and stop blaming other people. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, taking responsibility for our own journeys, because Mm -hmm. the thing that I took away, and I I can't say I've done as much looking into the debunkers as you have. I have checked out a few of them, (laughs) but not perhaps as many as you have. These two two are hilarious. One of the the other one, CoffeeZilla, he actually um, sometimes gets them to come on and like 
has a showdown and he gets like a moderator and has a showdown with these people. And it's, it's amazing to watch in action. You, you, you've got to check it out. What do you mean amazing? Like what, what's the amazing this is, part? Like you just, dude, it is, you're selling crap. And they'll still be like, well, if people don't, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you can see they're like, I'm going to use this because no press is bad press. And I'm going to use this to get, <laughs> get like, you literally see it playing out. And it's like, oh, my God, this is a train wreck. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a train wreck. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, 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 it's an area, I think. I, I guess what I was thinking when I saw this particular article that I referenced mm-hmm. about this guy debunking Louise Hay is I, I looked at who he was because, mm-hmm. you know, I had some bit about his credentials and so forth. And he was, I, I would describe him in very generic terms as being a moderate to liberal Christian minister. Mm-hmm. And he was dismissing from that perspective mm-hmm. and pretty partially in some ways, which I thought was interesting. I didn't, I'm not used to that genre of minister being that negative. I mean, they can, it's not like, you know, they can't do that, but I, I'm just not used to seeing that from, from generically that kind of, of uh, minister, but I was mm-hmm. seeing it here and I kept thinking about, okay, so what were his particular criticisms? And I kind of went through them one by one mm-hmm. and I asked myself, okay, so what does he think instead? And mm-hmm. as I started piecing it together, I realized what a limited view of life he had. Very, mm-hmm. very small frame that his understanding of how life works operated in. And it was, it almost felt like a straitjacket, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. I, I didn't quite expect, I, I expected to kind of like, you know, be pissed off at the guy or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's not what the reaction was. The reaction was pity. Mm-hmm. I felt sorry for him. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like, well, I feel sorry for this guy. He doesn't get it. No, mm-hmm. like, I, I really felt sorry for him. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, God, I, I feel embarrassed for him. <laughs> that, that's the kind of <laughs> <his feeling. laughs> It wow. was a really interesting thing. I, I guess it's just another example of, of how perspective works because everybody brings different perspectives and different perspectives lead to different conclusions. But I mean, it was really interesting. Just very interesting to kind of see through the eyes of somebody to the extent that I could, mm-hmm. who doesn't see eye to eye with me at all, who doesn't mm-hmm. get what we're talking about. If he was listening to this podcast, he'd write a really nasty article, I'm sure. But and just you know what? Understanding from his viewpoint was really weird. One of the things that I love to to keep in mind, Will, is maybe it's not for them. It, well, obviously, it's not. Yeah, and maybe, and maybe his way of creating works for him. Maybe it does. Yeah, you know, I know some prayer warriors of all different faiths and religions that when they get down and put a prayer together, it moves mountains and things happen. They're not using the law of attraction, per se, as far as they're concerned, right? <laughs> but truth just is, and the fact is, is that the universe is constructed on a series of laws, and we access the truth of those laws through different names, through different guises. It's like my purple brick theory. So many people are looking at this thing and calling it a different name and getting the same result, positive or not so positive. Ultimately, what comes down is our personal relationship to it. And are we living a life that we want to live? And as you were saying that, I remembered one of the things I did um, whenever I deal with somebody who's coming from a strong Christian background, I always keep in my back pocket the idea of sowing and reaping because yeah. any Christian can identify with that. Mm-hmm. And, and so one of the questions I asked myself was, okay, if I were sitting talking with this guy mm-hmm. and he would, you know, doing his stuff and, and he finally took a breath, 
I'd say to him something like, so what do you think of sowing and reaping? Just, you know, open question, right? <laughs> see, see what he has to say about it. And then, you know, at some point, not not hit him over the head with it, but point out, well, you know, that really is the same thing as law of attraction. Just see what, just see what the reaction is, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, was, I, I couldn't quite imagine how he would react. I tried really yeah. hard to, to feel it from his perspective. Mm-hmm. The best I could come up with it, I think it probably would have surprised him a little bit. Mm-hmm. It just it just felt like he, oh, I, you know, like I hadn't thought of it that way and I've got to find some way to regroup to attack that I'm not sure how to do it, but I'll find a way. But I, I, I wasn't sure how he would respond to it. I really wasn't. And, you know, when when I look at this idea of naming different things, different things, I, generally speaking, don't invite resistance by just using whatever words are going to be comfortable with the people that I'm around. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, if I'm with a Muslim, I'll talk about Allah. If I'm with a... Uh, a Christian, I'll talk about God or Jesus, like just whatever's, whatever facilitates having the space to have an expansive conversation where we yeah, can move forward with yeah. the context of it not being lost in ideas around the meaning of words that really only have meaning because we've given them meaning. I think a lot of it too is recognizing where the hot buttons are so you mm-hmm. can avoid the hot buttons. Yeah, 100%. Because they, they just basically just stop conversation and turn it into fights. Yeah, and then what was the point? We're just wasting glycogen that's available for us to go and do other things <laughs> to have a conversation about something that's not going anywhere anyway. Oh, but, let me let me I gotta check. Have I have I wasted my glycogen today? I gotta check. <laughs> <laughs> like, we literally got like a few shots of that. Are we gonna like just use it all on on really? Really? <laughs> this is what we're doing with the glycogen for today. <laughs> that we're ne- we're never gonna get this back. It's it's gone forever, and we're allowing this thing to go forever on the back of something that should have never been here in the first place, really. I mean, do I realize how much time and effort I put in to acquire that glycogen, and now I'm throwing it <laughs> out the window? <laughs> For what? For what? <laughs> Get out of here. Sit uh, down and have a milkshake, you crazy cunt. <laughs> I love it. That's funny. Yeah. The, the purple brick theory is a nice way to remind yourself, I think, to just let it go. Yeah. Just, just let it go. and Really let it go. Yeah. It's not really helping anybody no. at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to ask you one thing. I, I... Where, where did purple brick come from? I'm curious about that part. So it's just that we're all looking at the... Didn't I tell you this story? Have I not told you this story? I think you told... I don't remember if you told me where the purple brick uh, theme came from. I I remember you talking about what the metaphor means, but I don't remember where the theme came from. So just looking at the same thing from different angles, so it's the same brick, Mm -hmm. and purple is a color that's not associated with anybody's skin color, so nobody's going to get that. Oh, I see. Okay, that's where it comes from. Got it. All right. They're just random purple. Okay, we'll go with purple. Okay, all right. Yeah, that works. And you remember a purple (laughs) brick because it's a bit... A bit random. So. Yeah. 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 They're kind of unusual. So, yeah. yeah. Like purple brick? What the? <laughs> Glycogen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there goes some more wasted glycogen more, right out the window. There's <laughs> the glycogen good again. Yeah. Okay. Purple bricks. I'm not, see, now what you're going to do is you got me thinking about imagining an entire building built out of purple bricks. A purple oh, a brick building. What beautiful, inclusive building it might be. Mm, yeah, it'd be pretty. I'd like it. (laughs) 
Seriously. I mean, that sounds really nice. Because you, mm-hmm. you see, you know, you've seen like painted brick buildings and so forth. Mm-hmm. Now, why not painted purple like a royal building? You know? There you go. Yeah, it's nice. I like it. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been a great way to uh, kind of ease people in to mm-hmm. checking out the app, checking out the stories. And I would like to invite listeners to not only check them out, but read them and, and send in your impressions. Tell us what you think. You know, if, you, if there's a story, like you, maybe you read the Steinway piano story and that one really resonates with you. What, what did you like about it? Why did you enjoy it so much? Or you know, one of the other stories. Maybe there's a story in there that kind of rubs you the wrong way. Tell us about that one. That'd be cool, you know? Mm-hmm. But whatever it is that captures your attention, you know, take the time to read the stories and tell us how they play out in your own life. I, I recall the person who was the listener who had been listening for a year and hadn't written anything in. And then she writes in to tell us, about how just listening to all this stuff had influenced her to make all these changes in her life. Very simply, no effort, and miraculously, so that a year later, I mean, her entire life was was flying. You know, she had lost weight. She was successful. Her family was working. I mean, that's a great kind of story. You know? And I'm hoping we get stories, maybe not on that scale, but certainly stories that reinforce that the book really did help people, because that's what I love. That's really mm-hmm. why I put it into the app. So. Take the time, fill out the form. And by the way, I did get that other form in there. When I took the time to put the book in, I put the second form in. So now you aren't limited to an ask a question form. You can just do a regular contact form too. They got two different forms in there. You don't have to say, oh, go, well, this isn't really a question, but I wanted to send it in. Just, you just use the form. So, so. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I, I, I hope this was a, a kind of a, a nice break from the other 13 podcasts that you did. I hope we, we shifted it around a little bit because <laughs> you got to do, otherwise it can, it can, it can get kind of, you know, what was stale? Is that the word? Oh no, no. Yeah. Because I, do you know what is? I've been really blessed. I always get really either, whether it's guests for my podcast or guests or, you know, hosts that I'm, that I'm, I'm guesting on. I always have really cool conversations this morning. Ah. Um, we had one, we, we got going, Realized that he had another meeting. I had another podcast. I went and recorded that podcast, came back and we finished up. <laughs> I love recording. it. Excellent. Yeah. It was just a really expansive conversation. We're probably going to end up doing some kind of project together around social inclusion. He works for the local government down in um, San Diego, oh, uh, cool. works on their social inclusion um, programs and wants to do something together. And then uh, I've got another one uh, in an hour. Uh, who knows what adventure that's going to be too. So it's been... It's been really, really, really cool. Really cool. Really, oh, that's really good. Cool. Yeah. Been, well, that's what keeps it going for me. I know anytime that I'm doing a, uh, an episode and it gives me that lift, I want to do the next episode. So if it's doing the same thing for you, that way to do all these different shows, more power to you, man. Yeah, definitely. Really cool. I've, I've found that um, the ones that perhaps don't have as deep a resonance, I haven't had any bad ones, but ones aren't as deep a resonance, they come, it's a pleasant experience, and then they're outshined by... The others are like, whoa, mm. like, I've got a, like one guy, I was on his podcast a week or something ago. He was already coming to Cabo for a holiday. He's like, I wow. can't wait to come down. We're going to hang out. Let's do some content or whatever. So it's like, yeah, let's do it. Really good. All yeah. right. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you very much for the time that you spent with us. We really appreciate that. Hopefully oh, our friend Alex is going to be back soon. We really miss her. Yeah. We need yeah. to talk to these doctors about like encroaching on our time we need to like <laughs> i know they have no respect whatsoever no respect <laughs> so well alex we're thinking about you we're looking forward Sending to sending you, you love alex and thank you to our live stream and podcast listeners we'll see you all next time here on LOA today goodbye everybody <laughs>